This week, a PC benchmark came out for Final Fantasy XV, because a PC version of that is coming out in four weeks. Okay. And, and Square Enix is one of those strange companies that actually releases benchmarks and demos ahead of PC game releases. They've been doing this for ages. Like, I've not heard of this. So, And when you say, okay, so my experience of benchmarks is when you load up a new game and benchmark is one of the things in the menu and you press it and it basically flies over some of the sort of places you'll be in the game. So is it just a little, like, see if your computer can handle this game thing? Yeah, it's a separate application that you install and you have, like, you can select three preset resolutions, three preset graphics settings, and you can uh, select languages and such. And it just... Uh, plays uh, a bunch of scenarios from the game. You're driving around, riding around, fishing, fighting, cooking food, and such. And you can see how the game runs. And uh, the PC port seems to be great. Looks great, uh, runs well. um, Like the medium setting looks way better than the console versions. Um, The problem, though, is seeing Final Fantasy XV again reminded me of how terrible the game is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a charming game. It's a game that's a guilty pleasure because I think everyone who played it acknowledges that it's terrible and the, the people who don't are basically lying because it's not, it's not finished. And it's one of the most blatantly unfinished games ever. Again... It's, Isn't this exactly what happened with the previous one? Uh, this is worse. Th- this what? is this is the one that they, they this one was in development for like ten years or something. Oh, is it? Is uh, this it, the one the documentary was about? And uh, no, that was fourteen. The MMORPG. Yeah. And this is and this is worse. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because that documentary was about how the game was absolutely unfit for use at all. Yeah, I mean, I guess Square Enix have had some management issues over their main projects because yeah. 14 and 15 are, I mean, they're different genres, but they're, of course, mainline prestige titles where it's like, okay, cost no object, time no object, we're going to get this right because this is like symbolizes us as a company. Yeah. And 14, they fucked up and remade the whole game. And 15, uh, they just kind of worked on it for 10 years and it kind of shoved it out the door and they have been adding a bunch of dlc stuff and but there's this is just there's like the, the last third of the game is just missing there's just like a key defining moment you get to a city that's like it's huge and intricate it's like a sci-fi version of venice uh-huh. and the main the whole city has is full of NPCs and stores and places you can go. It's multi-layered, multiple levels. It's, it's huge. It's, it's like you could pay, you could put a whole game there. It's like it's bigger than a Yakuza city. Yeah. And what they use the city for in the game is in the corner of the map, there's a single street. You go to one place on that street and you have a cutscene. And after that cutscene, you go to the other end of that street, and you have a cutscene, and then you have basically an action set piece uh, that you run around some corridors where, they, where there's no ambient sound. I, and that's it. Uh, I think total 
playtime, the total time you're here, including cutscenes, is 30 minutes. And that 30 minutes included me running around aimlessly in the city just looking at stuff. It's like, how many months and years did they spend building this city for <laughs> nothing? It's not used in the game. It's, it, it, it shows like incredible like mismanagement because they, they just built the place with no idea of how they'd use it in the game. Oh. So when the story comes to that point in the game, it's just, oh, this is a location that's used for like two little cutscenes. They could have just had one little street and then like have that street built have like 2D assets and invisible walls. That's what you do normally, but they yeah. built the entire city. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh wow, why did they do that? And why having done that, why didn't they change the story to use that city? Uh I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. I do wonder though. Maybe that's what happens with, you know, when some games you're like well, I like the game, but then there was this one boring chapter in the middle where we spent ages in this boring place. I wonder if that's what happens in them. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Instead, it, like the main story takes you there and then immediately away from there. And the set piece in that place, there were multiple times where it's like you, you end a cutscene and they haven't placed the ambient sound loop markers properly. So at the uh -oh. place you start, it's completely inaudible. <laughs> the music and sound hasn't started playing yet. So oh. I was actually, just, at the start of it, just fasc fascinated by the train wreck quality of just panning the camera around and looking at all the... There's like a big battle on in the background and there's like a wind swoop thing because there's a wind serpent there. And it's like, it did no sound <laughs> at all. <laughs> Like, oh, this is just broken. <laughs> it's not done yet. <laughs> and it gets increasingly worse from there because there's a, uh, there's a time skip in the game where between the, the second to last chapter and the last chapter, it jumps forward several years and the world becomes post-apocalyptic. And again, the whole map changes visual theme but you just drive through it. You don't do anything there. And then you meet characters where like, oh, here's a tiny hint at what we wanted to tell here. There's like text logs that you can read that tell you just a little bit about what's happened in the world since you kind of you went away and then you came back. And there's like a whole character arcs for all the side characters that's non-existent. And then you go to the end battle and it's over. It's like mm. the the whole fi finale of the game is just a joke, and I I think they patched one of the chapters to uh, redo the story. They rebuilt one of the chapters, but I don't know if they fixed the story arc for one of the main characters, uh, one of the main antagonists, because you defeat him in that chapter, and then kind of next to his corpse are like five text logs again that detail his entire motivation. No, no. Because they didn't put it in the game. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. All you got to do is, like, if you if you haven't got the budget or the time to do a... Uh, and this isn't ideal. You shouldn't do this. But if you get to that point and you haven't put the story in, you either have a flashback 
um, like just before you fight him or just after you fight him, showing you what happened. And if you haven't got the budget for that, just have him say what happened. Just have him tell it to the people in his monologue before you fight him or whatever. Yeah, but they didn't have time or money to do that. They just put the text logs there. Basically, the oh. game is full of stuff where it just tells you in text. And also, there's one twist where it tells you in a load screen what <laughs> just happened because oh. the, the cutscene is nonsense. And then the load screen has text that tells you what just happened in the scene, but they didn't have time to uh, do it coherently. <laughs> oh, no! Basically... You can see all the goodwill there, where yeah. they were trying to make, genuinely trying to make the most awesome Final Fantasy game ever, yeah. but they were incapable of doing it. <laughs> they tried for like 10 years, and it's like, this is way too expensive. We have to put this out and just stop. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that is gutting, isn't it? I yeah. wonder why it is that, because logic would tell you, that if you have 10 years to do the project and you've got a team and a budget and so on, what you'll end up with will be at least fine. But for some reason, every game that takes that long is dreadful. Uh, yeah, th- there's, there's a few exceptions here and there exactly. where, they, where they managed to steer it in the correct direction in the okay. last few years. Like Stalker was okay. one, of, one of those games. Okay. But... It's uh, there's kind of alpha versions of Stalker that have been released where it's like this is what the game was before we steered it and corrected course, and yeah. it's basically unplayable. But it's like a mad world simulation where uh, they made a game where NPCs can finish the game before you do. They're just uh, uh, oh cool yeah <laughs> because uh, everyone in the world is on a quest to get to the center of some place and uh, if you you can just be wandering around in the wilderness and oh you lost the game because an npc got there before you did <laughs> wow and <laughs> the stalker alphas are fascinating because it's rare to have a game where the world is full of like npcs like animals and humans wandering around and fighting and kind of living their lives completely independently of you. Because usually a game world is like uh, more like a movie set where everything is calm and nothing is happening. In Stalker, it's like animals and NPCs hunting each other. So Mm. in the alpha version, it's complete madness. You're just wandering around and it feels like you're in the... In the middle of the apocalypse, as it's happening, <laughs> it's crazy and it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, feeling because n- no one releases a game like that because it's like, how do you balance that? Because yeah. it's completely randomized, basically, what's happening. <laughs> you can see why they would want to try. Yeah, they, they really tried. And then they decided to, like, no, let's. <clears throat> Let's make a real game out of this. And the final game, I really liked it because it has elements of that still in there. But in a much... uh, They controlled the scope of the madness. (laughs) So it's comprehensible (laughs) to you as it's happening. Like uh, you'll enter an area and uh, animals will attack an encampment or something like that. Or two bandit factions will fight each other. And the AI that they built before... 
uh, they're still using that. And that game has some of the best pathfinding I've ever seen in a game. Where it's like you see an incredibly complex environment. And it's like, there's no way an NPC could navigate through that. But they do it always perfectly. <laughs> anyway. So the reason I started talking about Final Fantasy XV is... Uh, the week before I finished uh, the JRPG I started playing. Uh, Legend of Heroes uh, Trails of Cold Steel. And that <laughs> game, it's... Now that I'm thinking of Final Fantasy 15 kind of as a comparison, yes, I appreciate Trails of Cold Steel more because that's a game where they made it in a few years, and basically everything went right instead of everything going off the rails. Oh, good. Yeah, and <laughs> one difference is in Final Fantasy 15, they did a lot of world building of the kind where. Everyone's throwing a bunch of jargon at you and it bounces off you immediately because you can tell it's just a load of bullshit. They're just excited about the fake words they made up, but they, you don't care what they're talking about. Like they I really hate that. That's, that is the sort of storytelling that I'm against. Yeah, and as a kind of comparison to that, in Trails of Cold Steel, I was surprised that there was world-building and it didn't come off as bullshit. And it's like I'm mystif- I was mystified by like, okay, what's the difference in execution here? How are they making, creating a f- setting full of locations, full of their own terms, and they're not m- making it a load of bullshit? Where it's like, I-, I can actually, I'm paying attention to this scene because what they're saying seems to have some relevance to the story. they're not saying this just because they're uh, happy they came up with this name (laughs) (laughs) there's some purpose to this (laughs) it seems to actually connect to the story as a whole and yeah I can't really put my finger on exactly what they did because analyzing a story like this I think you have to do it, go through it twice to really yeah. uh, go through it. Kind of in the first time, you kind of let it wash over you, and you can come to like a simplistic judgment at that point, where it's like, okay, Final Fantasy Fifteen, a lot of bullshit, and this game, I actually paid attention to the scenes, and that's like a key difference. But I think what they did was just have restraint first off. Yeah. Not overloading you with it, and then doling it out in scenes where it's connected to the character in the moment, like having some personal stake in the information. Yeah. Where it seemed to be important, not just to understand it superficially, but it seemed important. Like, uh, w- one of the things Trails of Cold Steel uh, does poorly is the opening because it does the uh, a million anime shows do this and mm-hmm. I, th- I think they did this just because it's a default thing a lot of people do it's a uh, you start in media's rest yes <laughs> where it's like oh here's the bad thing you do where a lot of characters you don't know talk about a lot of stuff you don't know yet and you can't pay attention to it but anyway, See, that's that's not what Immedia's Res is supposed to be. But for some reason, I I mean, or at least that's not what, <laughs> at least that's not what it is in like Western storytelling. It does seem if if JRPGs and anime 
which I will readily admit are really my only exposures to Japanese storytelling. But if they are anything to go by, then that does seem to be a trope that they have there that's acceptable, where it is, yeah, let's all let's all dump the information at the beginning. And no, it's not. It's the least helpful way of doing it. Yeah, because nobody can pay attention to that. And I, and I, rem- <laughs> I remember my. I remember my teenage days when I would be uh, <clears throat> like my friends would be writing fanfics and so on, and they were all inspired by JRPGs and so on. That was actively seen, and I remember feeling this myself and thinking this myself that that was actively seen as a good form of writing because it showed that you had made up all the stuff and that, that <laughs> they were in for a robust uh, bit of world building here and and unfortunately uh, it just means only the author can possibly understand it. Yeah. It, it it's usually like oh so this is going to be terrible. <laughs> it's usually what it means. But- well, the idea the idea behind it at the time, and maybe it is in the writing of these games, was if we show you that we've made up all this stuff, then you'll think oh okay, this isn't just a game where nobody's paid attention to the story. So when I'm a fan of this, several hours in, I'll know what all of this was, and I can see the intro again, and I'll be like ah yes, now I know what all of that is. My argument though has always been that that sort of intro is the best way to prevent me from ever becoming a fan of the thing in order to find out what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the opening in Trails of Cold Steel sucked because it's uh, an immediate rest of that kind. But anyway, uh, the, the gist of the opening is uh, terrorists have taken over a military facility with it's like uh, drones and automated tanks and just a couple of big cannons that fire in the end of the prologue thing. And then... Uh, when you start the game, it immediately gets better because you actually are eased into the story and introduced to the settings and characters. And then it takes like 20 hours before those cannons are ever brought up. Mm. And when it is brought up, it's one of, one of your classmates uh, kind of opens up and talks about why she hates her mom and is doing everything to ca- she can to cut ties with her. And it's because uh, this is a world of uh, nobles and commoners, and commoners uh-huh. uh, are built many corporations, and her mom is head of an arms dealer oh. that has built those cannons. And they're s- situated at the border of the country and are aimed at a neighboring country's main population center. And oh, they right. uh, ascribe to the, uh, you know, mutual assured destruction will prevent all warfare thing <laughs> is this a um i, I mean it, you know are they referencing north korea there maybe <laughs> and uh, because that'll be a pressing issue to them down there won't it yeah and uh, I, I just immediately took it as oh it's uh, uh nukes or something like that but you yeah. know north korea of course much more uh, common because that's literally what's happening with north and south korea yeah <laughs> and basically in the in the setting uh, a lot of commoner families uh, there's like multiple classmates that have this issue where they hate their parents because they compromise their morals in order to get ahead in this world where in order to gain the approval and get the business from the nobles to have all the money you have to do this and mm-hmm. uh, your classmates kind of his granddad the granddad who kind of founded the company uh, had a falling out with the mom and kind of left the company in disgust and now the mom runs the company alone and uh, basically uh, 
all of this combined with like the terrorist motives, it, it kind of starts making a lot of sense uh, how the world building and the motivations of the villains fits in. And uh, all of this, like w- when I saw Steam reviews, a lot of them mentioned that they praised the world building. And that's like almost meaningless. Like, what do you mean the world building is good? But when I actually played it, I noticed that, hey, the world building is actually good. (laughs) Because like how the society functions is like directly tied into the villain's motivations. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a challenge for the main cast because what you do in, in the story is visit a lot of different locations. And you see that the world by and large seems to work fine despite the uh, the problems and the tensions inherent in this because you, you come across a lot of problems with like corruption and stuff like that people pushing their power around and kind of the bubbling tension here but and it was so satisfying to play like a jrpg where oh the villains you finally confront them and they spell out their motivation and it's like yep this makes perfect sense and it's completely in line with everything i understand about the world and it also makes sense why the main characters would want to oppose them because they are like okay this site has a lot of problems but doing a violent upending and murdering everyone is not the answer but i can see that you who had all your families murdered by this society and for the sake of progress uh, I can see what why you think otherwise. So, <laughs> so anyway, that that's a lot better than they do in Final Fantasy XV, where <laughs> the whole thing becomes an incoherent jumble, and I can't remember the mo- villain's motivations at all, <laughs> which I take as a bad thing. <laughs> like I, I enjoyed the journey and spectacle in fifteen, but. Uh, and it was kind of adorable because you could see the positive will there, but it's not exactly a finished game. Yeah. Whereas Trails of the Cold Steel uh, was, and it ended on a cliffhanger, and the sequel is coming out in uh, uh, like a couple of weeks on PC, and I'm gonna buy it and play it. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, is that is that I can't remember now. Is that why you started playing it? Because there was a new one coming out. Uh. No, it it was more like I I kept had my eye on the series for a long time, and I think I've seen tweets <coughs> from people who have played the entries as they came out in Japanese. Yeah, and I saw someone who mentioned that they were pleasantly surprised by how much they enjoyed the third one that came out in uh, like August 2017. And I felt like ah yeah, this is on sale now, and I feel like playing something like this. So uh, and I have the time for it. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit and see how it turns out. And I was like, yeah, this is good. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but it's good. <laughs> because there are so many things that will make a normal person bounce off it immediately. <laughs> Whereas Final Fantasy XV, funny enough, doesn't have that problem. It has a much better opening. It's much easier to ease yourself into it and just enjoy it. And then eventually it turns out to be a complete clusterfuck. But at that point, you're already kind of, you're so far into it and so committed to it that it's weird that the, w- one of them, it's much better, but I can't recommend it to anyone. And the other one is much worse, but I can easily recommend it. 
<laughs> just because how they open, how they open, and how they look, and the production quality of animations and graphics and stuff. Anyway, I've got something to talk about. Only a brief one, though, because hmm. it's about a TV series that I am going to watch but haven't watched yet, and that is Netflix's new cyberpunk tv show altered carbon yes and i have a a, a good reason why i'm not gonna watch it but i'm also kind of curious to watch it but well, I... the reason i'm gonna watch it is that i have read the book um <clears throat> i read the book um god years and years ago i don't know if I, don't, I doubt that it was brand new when it when i read it but it was but it was fairly new and it's a really interesting it's a really interesting uh book and the concept is that it's um it's sort of okay level one of the concept which presumably i haven't really seen the advertising for the tv series but this is the basic premise that i imagine they've mentioned is that it's a sort of a detective show or book in this case where the concept is that in the future rich people can basically upload their brains to new bodies whenever they want so they can so they can be immortal and live forever um and um that's that's sort of level one so you you know you're trying to track down someone without knowing what they look like and you have to figure out who they are some other way that's level one that's interesting the next level of it which i don't imagine they've mentioned in the advertising is that in this world um catholics because they believe in heaven they don't do this they will not um be revived and it becomes this new uh, religious um, conflict, like you know how Jehovah's Witnesses can't have blood transfusions. It's a bit like that. They uh, wait. I think they, Jehovah's Witnesses can't have blood transfusions. I believe that's the case. If I'm mistaking it, then. But you, you know the thing I mean. Uh, yeah, this, we're, we're 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 a bit rusty on our Jehovah's Wit yeah. Witness lore. Yes. Well, in this, <laughs> Catholics, because they believe they go to heaven. I don't know why it's just Catholics, but in this it is particularly Catholics will not be re-sleeved because it's against their religion. And what this means is that if you kill them, they won't testify. Whereas anyone else can be, okay, If mo it's only rich people who can re-sleeve themselves into new bodies, but the courts can do it for them if they need them to testify in their own murder and things like that, or some other sort of crime. But Catholics, you can't do it. Well, the plot here is that a Catholic person ha is dead and needs to be uh, a key witness in a trial so they're basically trying to figure out whether or not you know what the the moral and legal aspect of of re-sleeving a catholic for this one thing would be um and there's a and there's a i can't remember all the exact details but there is a, a sort of a crime going on now here's where i was very surprised that they're making this into a tv series because it's a it's a cool concept and hey we're all up right now we've had we've had Blade Runner we're all sort of up for a kind of cyberpunk TV series I think it's mm. a good time for it. Here's the problem: there's two things about this book which are which w are, are like very interesting in a book, very good ideas in a book, but on TV would look like the most tried, most like boring and problematic things around. Here's uh, number one, the lesser of the two, is that a lot of the story surrounds violence against vulnerable women, specifically sex workers. Um, now, again, I don't remember it very specifically, the ins and outs of the story, but I remember there was a lot of time spent in this, like, cyber brothel where you are, you know, pr presumably it was something to do with re-sleeved people and things like this, like 
bodies being used in certain ways. So translate that to TV and you've got what is simultaneously the sort of thing a producer would look at and go, oh, great. Yeah, let's make a TV show of that. That'll They'll like that. And the viewers will go this again, which is basically presumably there's going to be a lot of breasts in this. And then a lot of women getting violented on. Yeah, I would a, imagine. A, a producer's idea of like, hmm, what's the secret sauce that makes HBO yeah. successful? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> even though, even though in a story that is something that's worth examining, and it's so so in a book that's like actually kind of a good thing. I can't remember if it is in this book, but I understand he's a well-respected author, so it probably is. But on TV, it's just going to look like, oh, here we go again. But that brings me to the main thing. And I haven't yet read about the response. I think it just I think the series just came out on Netflix like yesterday or today or something. Haven't yet looked at the response, but I bet you anything it's going to be negative surrounding one big situation, which is that the main character of the novel is an Asian man called Takeshi Kovacs, who has been re-sleeved against his will, I think. Uh, or certainly like he's been dead for like hundreds of years and he's been revived in the body of a standard white guy so what we have if they are accurate to the book is a normal white dude who appears to be playing an asian character and that is not what you do right now (laughs) if Uh, you want good reviews yeah i mean that's what they did in the ghost in the shell live action film yeah exactly and the thing is when that (laughs) happened I was thinking of this. I was thinking of Altered Carbon. And I was thinking, oh, good point. You can't do a film of Altered Carbon thinking about it. And, um, yeah, they have. <laughs> I- yeah. Well, anyway, the, the, I, I, the, the deal breakers for Altered, Altered Carbon, the TV show, weren't yeah. these details. Ah. My deal breaker was I yeah. looked up who's making this. Oh, who is making this? The writers and producers of... Terminator Genesis. Oh! One of the worst movies oh. ever made. <laughs> oh! Well, now, now, just to just to play devil's advocate here, right? Um, the TV series Transformers, or oh, I can't remember what it was called. The the first, um, no, not no, that's not even right. The first series of a recent CG Transformers. Um, what was it called? Hang on. Transformer. Well, anyway, there was a Transformers TV series a few years ago, and it was really good. Um, and it was written by the guys who write all the Transformers films and who wrote like loads of other bad films. Like, you know, the, the people who wrote the bad Star Treks and, and all of this. Yeah, Kurtzman and the other guy. Uh, Orca or Orky? Yeah, Orky and Kurtzman. Yeah, Transformers Prime. It was called. Hmm. Well, they were the head writers and, like, I almost think showrunners. They were they were in charge of the story in this series, and it was brilliant. So it could simply be that the you know the different environments of TV versus film can bring out a completely different set of skills, and and someone who was bad at one could be good at the other. We'll see. Because yeah, I will be watching. We can hope, but yes. the track record here is. Yeah. Screenwriter, the main writer, the creator, uh, was screenwriter for Alexander, not a great film. Pathfinder, movie that's uh, of Carl Urban uh, being adopted by Native Americans and fighting Vikings. Uh, it has a great poster, but I think it's okay in spite of the screenplay. And then 
Yeah, Shutter Island, again, a movie that's okay in spite of the screenplay because it was kind of dumb. Terminator Genesis, absolutely nightmarishly awful. (laughs) And then we have Altered Carbon, and then we have co-screenwriter for... Alita Battle Angel. Oh no! It seems like, oh, okay, so it's guaranteed to be garbage now, isn't it? Oh <laughs> no! Oh come on! I just want a decent Alita film. I'd be happy. I don't mind her eyes. I think it looks perfect. I'd be, I'd be down with the way it looks. But oh no! Yeah, don't so make it boring and crap. <laughs> yeah, and then we have uh, probably the worst thing. Uh, the next project is. Untitled Sword Art Online live action series. Uh, <laughs> oh no! That's a series that's bad to begin with. And <laughs> first off, don't make it live action. And then <laughs> don't get these people to do it. <laughs> I suppose. Isn't Sword Art Online the one where they're in an MMO? Uh, yeah. Uh, the so, fun- so with. with um, Ready Player One coming out. They're going to be riding that wave, aren't they? Yeah. But the funny thing about Sword Art Online is that they're only in Sword Art Online, the MMO, for like one season. And then the writer kind of changed his mind just as he's like oh. getting momentum in the store. It's like, oh, this could be interesting. And then they finish the game. They get out of it. They're in the real world for a couple of episodes. Then they go into another MMO. And then they go into another MMO. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 not a it's not great, but it was the author's uh, first work, and uh, you know it's uh, it's crap because he was a crap writer at the time, and he wrote it in like I don't know the early two thousands. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, that seems like a like a Netflix uh, thing that's going to be. I guess uh, match the quality of Death Note, the live action. It just feels like, oh, of course, it's a garbage live action thing based on anime. Of course, it's Netflix. It must be. I haven't looked if it's Netflix, but it can't <laughs> be anything else. And by the way, the, one of the producers for this, um, the uh, Arthur Carbon, he was the producer for Geostorm. <laughs> I don't think I've heard of Geostorm. It was one of those uh, disaster films that came out last year. That was a joke. Oh. And, oh dear. Yeah. And producer for World War Z. <laughs> and Star Trek Into the Dark. People quite liked that, didn't they? I thought people quite liked World War Z. World War Z was surprisingly acceptable but it's also a broken <laughs> film because it feels like you're watching a one movie and then it changes into a different movie and then it changes to another different movie there's right. like three films spliced into one and right. each of those segments are surprisingly well done but it's not a coherent arc it's more like three separate short films and when it ends it's, it's like well, that that was inoffensive. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's why I'm not chomping at the bits to watch Altered Carbon. <laughs> it's like that these people haven't done anything good. Why should this be different? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, the 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 one thing that that it has going for it is that it is from an interesting book, 
we'll see i you know i will watch the first episode or so but uh yeah it does help tremendously when it's uh based on like a real story because that's, well, that's it they don't yeah they they appear to be just adapting the book over 13 episodes or whatever so, so basically mm. they don't have to write a story at all but they still have to convert it into an engaging production and that's that's a skill of itself and you know we'll have to see if they can do it yeah yeah uh, I, I'll have an eye on the reviews and such, but <laughs> see, in the, see, yeah. The, but honestly, the main thing this is all going to be overshadowed by the by the whitewashing thing because, and quite reasonably, yeah, yes, in the book that is the story, and in the book it's like part of the point of the story in that it is because it's a book and it's written i think he's even the narrator of the book i think it's first person so you are hearing about the thoughts of this japanese man i think and he's in a white body and that's new for him and that's kind of the point but put a camera outside that and you've got just what ghost in the shell was and in ghost of the shell it was absolutely down to the ground 100 percent an inexcusable like marketing decision to have a white woman play the Asian character. That was what it was. Then they came up with a story reason, but that story reason was dropped in. Well, that story reason is central to Altered Carbon, but nevertheless, it still is the same thing. Honestly, I... Uh, well, I th- it's not really the same thing if it's based on a book where it's well, uh, reasoned properly, because in Ghost in the Show, yeah. the reason it was so stupid was because it just was so bizarre and moronic the way they executed it (laughs) well that's absolutely right but the reason i say it's the same thing is that it's visually the same thing is what Uh, i mean yeah to look at it 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 looks bad (laughs) yeah and if frankly and it kind of is the same thing as well because they're making a tv series so they could for instance have swapped it round Hmm. they could have had that it's a white guy and now he's in the body of an asian actor um and that could have been the point. Now, I think the reason in the book why he made that decision is that basically, I think um, it's simply that a white man with the name Takeshi stands out. And so you go, oh, interesting. How did he get that name? Uh, you know what I mean? Um, mm. Whereas we've seen over the years, no end. of It's completely normal to see like an, an Asian person called, you know, terry or whatever <laughs> um but um so yeah it, it wouldn't have necessarily had the same impact the other way around is what i'm saying but nevertheless <clears throat> they should have got around that they should have figured out a way to do it and maybe do it that way around and maybe that would have solved that problem but i bet you anything if i if i look up hang on altered carbon if i in fact if i just put altered carbon and i just google that um yeah the third response uh, the first one is uh, this may not be the cyberpunk show you dot dot dot. Here's what critics think of. And then the last one is cast creator respond to whitewashing critics. So yeah, so it's <laughs> so it's so it's already um been hit with that. And of course it has. Like that it's central to the whole thing. Even if they pull it off brilliantly, even if it's really thoughtful and it's really like they really, really lean into the fact that it's controversial and they really deal with it well. Nevertheless, there is no getting around the fact that they chose to do it. And it is specifically a thing which in the last like couple of years has been unpopular. And it's it's a silly decision. Yeah, well, you kind of have to, at the concept stage, pre- prepare your statement <laughs> for how you're going to present it. But anyway, that's, that's the least of my problems with it. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, so 
if it's good in execution, that won't matter in the end. Yeah. But it just looks bad at at, at a glance. It looks, it looks bad. bad at a glance. Yeah. And then, if, as you say, it's made by people who have a track record of never doing anything well in execution. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of uh, writing the most moronic garbage uh, I've ever seen in a theater. <laughs> <laughs> and, it re- and it really is, because I did not see terminated genesis Uh, and the reason i didn't see terminated genesis is that i got so bored that i didn't even make it halfway through the previous terminator film is it somehow worse than that it's worse in a different way because yeah the last movie was really boring this one is determined to not be boring but in a really boring way it's uh, it's kind of like resident evil 2 apocalypse where you can kind of have a clock that like every five minutes on the dot there's an action scene no matter what's happening there's just oh something explodes oh here's another chase scene and the acting is horrible because the casting is just wrong for everything and it's trying to kind of rejigger the whole story and do like time the timeline changes completely and they're trying to do like cl- clever twists on it and every twist is stupid and crap and, and it's just uh, the, the whole thing felt insulting and it kind of fell flat and yeah it, in the final fight I was just kind of staring at the screen complete emotional flatline it's like well a bunch of crap is happening and I just can't wait for this to be over so I can leave <laughs> <laughs> of course I saw it in the theater <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's probably as bad as The Last Terminator, but bad in different ways. Anyway, so I played a game. Kingsfield 4, colon, The Ancient City. Never heard of it. No. Sounds like, just from the name, it sounds like one of those, um, you know, uh, Commander Massive Army uh, games to me. Yeah. Kingsfield. But it's not. It's... uh, you know, from software, the people who made uh, I do. Demon Souls, Dark Souls, whatever. Their first game in 1994 uh, was Kingsfield. Then they made Kingsfield 2, Kingsfield 3. Then they uh, made a bunch of different franchises after that. But then after a while, they came back and made un- one final Kingsfield game in 2001 for PlayStation 2. And then they kind of stopped making fantasy RPGs for eight years. And then they made Demon's Souls. And Demon's Souls, I heard people now and then, the kind of the lunatics that play literally everything that's ever been made, they referenced Kingsfield and said, oh, this is like Kingsfield. But not much more than that, because these games are obscure enough that nobody actually went back and played these games to see if they were right, including me. But I was browsing a, a emulator uh, kind of ISO just list of stuff where people have taken games that were localized into English and done so-called undub patches where uh, there were no Japanese language tracks in like Persona 3 or 4 or whatever uh-huh. on PlayStation 2. But people have manually extracted uh-huh. the Japanese audio tracks and patched them back in to the English localized versions of PlayStation 2 games. And you can can just download these English 
text and Japanese voice track games where they also added subtitles to FMV cutscenes. And here I saw Kingsfield 4 just scrolling past one of these lists and it's like, <laughs> well, it's super convenient to pirate these games because they just put them up on Google Drive now. So you can download them at your internet connection speed and there's no bullshit and the emulators play them fine. So I, I just downloaded <laughs> Kingsfield on a lark and then I started the game. And the menu sounds and the fonts were the same as in Demon's Souls. So mm-hmm. there's eight years between these games. <laughs> and Demon's Souls used the same menu sounds as Kingsfield. And it's like, okay, the references are pretty obvious here now. <laughs> <laughs> and when I start playing the game, this is a first-person RPG. So it's... Always, fr- always a risk. Yes. Especially... Especially in 2001, which is before first-person controls on a console were mastered. Especially in Japan, it took a few more years before they, oh, uh, they, oh. any of them played Halo and yeah. understood that you can actually use twin-stick controls you know, to move and look up and down. So yeah. This is a game where the left analog stick, you turn and move with it. Uh-huh. And uh, the right analog stick, you look up and down. Uh-huh. And it's inverted, and there's no way to change it. <laughs> no! <laughs> to strafe, it's R1 and L1 on the controller. No! And R2 and L2 are also bound to look up and down. Oh, okay. Because this is... Here's another thing that hints at... They created the controls for the PlayStation 1 games... And they had these controls, but the PlayStation 1 controller didn't have analog sticks. That's what, something that came later in the PlayStation 1's life. Oh, that's right. I always forget that. Yeah. So this Kingsfield 4 doesn't have analog movement. The D-pad and the analog stick move exactly the same. So when you move the analog stick, it's the same as uh, triggering the D-pad. So you have like an acceleration delay when you move. Oh, so, weird. Okay. Yeah. So it feels terrible. <laughs> yeah, you really have to spend some time getting back into those controls. I find that any control scheme is possible. You can get into it, but you have to give yourself some time. Yeah, and this is, it's certainly the case with this game. And yeah. I think these games, because I have... N- n- I hadn't read any reviews for these games, you know, at the time. I didn't know about these games at the time. I haven't gone back and played the PlayStation 1 Kingsfield games. But I think they must have had a reputation for being difficult. Because the game starts with what must be a joke. Because within five seconds of me playing the game, I died. And it's probably (laughs) less than five seconds. It's like... That's fair enough. I mean, that was how that was the original tutorial in Super Mario Brothers, wasn't it? You walk along, you hit the Goomba, you die. Okay, I'll jump over the Goomba. Yeah, because there's a death pit directly (laughs) in front of you, and it's kind of (laughs) below the camera view, and it's just the it's hidden because there's like sand in a different color. If you walk over it, it's a death pit. There's absolutely nothing warning you about this, and there's a health uh, item kind of around the edge of it so if your eye is drawn to it and you want to go there and pick it up you die so this is like the first thing that happens in the game like you move forward just a tiny bit 
It's literally like, I think four seconds or less you can die in the game just by walking forwards and falling into this hidden death pit. <laughs> and wow, so From Software have really always had that in mind of teaching you via deaths yeah. how to play the game. Yeah, and what you get then is uh, no, no, game over, load game, or return to title. There's no retry <laughs> button. <laughs> Oh no. So you go back to the main menu and you press new game and you skip oh. over the CG intro again. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful way to open the game and uh, kind of scare <laughs> off any normies. <laughs> <laughs> but what I noticed after this intimidating opening where it's like these controls are god awful, I died immediately. I have no armor, no items, no weapon, but kind of s the opening of the game is strangely good at teaching you stuff because it's it shows a restraint in information. There's almost no text in the game. When you pick up an item, it kind of hovers into your view and goes in your inventory and it doesn't tell you what you picked up or what it is at all. You have to go into the inventory <laughs> manually and look. And by, yeah, and all the menu fonts and the, your character stats are laid out in exactly the same way as in Demon Souls and Dark Souls. Yeah, the weight system is exactly the same. <laughs> and I think like Demon Souls shows that it's this is how you reboot a series, uh, and because so much from Kingsfield has just been extracted. They, they took the spirit and like the atmosphere and mood and the visual style, the color schemes, the characters, how we talk to them. A lot of that stuff was taken over to Demon's Souls, but they remade the game completely. It feels so different, like the camera's perspective, the, the physics and everything. It's, it's really a completely different game. But they somehow extracted, like, the essence, the good stuff. What they really loved about the original was carried over. Like, uh, uh, what's been surprising playing Kingsfield is so many environments in the game feel like, oh, this is Dark Souls 1. Oh, this is Dark Souls 3. This is the DLC area for Dark Souls 2. It's just some of it. It's so similar that you could swear that they used the exact same assets in the later game. <laughs> <laughs> because the colors and styling of the textures is exactly the same. <laughs> it is like it's not accidental at all. It's the most obvious just reference or just ripping off their old ideas possible. Especially for like the Dark Souls 2 DLC areas. It's like it makes perfect sense where it's like, okay, we have several games here that nobody has played. And we have a very short schedule here for coming up with a setting. What are we going to do? Let's just go and take another environment that we made before. <laughs> anyway, this game, it's uh, what makes the game work, because I'm surprised by how good this game is, despite the sluggish physics and kind of terrible control scheme, it's clear that the developers were aware of this. Because the enemies, how they move, how you fight them, how the environment is designed, everything has been made with this in mind. Right. It, it doesn't feel accidental. The way it teaches you how the game works and the way puzzles work, because you have almost no text, 
it kind of has to teach you and uh, kind of hint at stuff of what you're supposed to do kind of intuitively in the level design. And it does this incredibly well for a game like this. I, I was playing it hour after hour and not being frustrated, which is surprising for a retro game because a retro game is usually an obtuse solution that you'd have to be the programmer to understand. But here <laughs> I was just, the challenge was exactly the right amount where every single enemy felt dangerous, but it was doable to defeat it. And the next challenge felt like, oh, it feels worth playing it. It's not frustrating. It was just in the sweet spot of difficulty. And the same with puzzles. It was like mysterious, but the solution always made sense to me. And uh, the, the interconnected world uh, where you uh, kind of, it's kind of Metroidvania-esque in the way where it's like uh, there's boarded up areas early on. And then you get like a pickaxe and you can smash the boards down and you get to new areas. And then you get like, uh, there's a door covered in spider webs and you learn magic to burn it off. And then you can get to a new place. Yeah. Uh, all those kind of natural barriers, it felt very satisfying learning the skills and getting past them and uh, then going back to earlier areas and exploring them. And the, the size of the world felt like it was just their correct size, where it mm. was like big enough to feel plausible, but not big enough to feel like it was padded out. And you move really slowly in the game, and that makes it longer. <laughs> <laughs> but... This was a fascinating thing. I feel like the slowness of the game is a feature because if you face a zombie and it takes you five seconds just to walk up to it, that's enough time for natural self-defense mechanisms that tell you to not do something to start kicking in because it starts feeling yeah. like you start telling yourself like, okay, what if the attack animation starts playing before I arrive? Then I'll be hit before I can hit him. And like all these kinds of natural worries that haunt you in everyday life, uh, they start playing and they usually don't do it in if, if you play like, I don't know, Metal Gear Rising, where you seeing an enemy and, the, and the, you attacking the enemy and reacting to the attacks, all of that happens within milliseconds, kind of the, the limit of human comprehension. So it's yeah. more like feel and instinct. Here, the delays are long enough that you can... You can have your internal monologuing voice playing all the time, telling you not to do something. <laughs> but anyway, I, I feel like it, a lot of common sense stuff that I common sense assumptions of like what makes a game good have kind of been challenged by this. I feel like like responsive controls. It's like you can say that something has responsive and quick controls. And that's not actually a value statement of whether it's good or bad. It just kind of is. Mm. And the game has to be designed with that in mind. Everything around it has to be done with that in mind. And if it is, like Kingsfield 4 is, because the controls and the sluggishness, the whole game was done with that in mind. So it works. Yeah. It works really well. It's like hypnotic to play. It's an excellent game. <laughs> where all the surface element it's like this is terrible because no game is like this 
every game is faster, more responsive. It, the controls aren't as awful. But when you yeah. say when you say faster, I um I looked up a video of it just now, so I yeah. could have an idea of, of what we're talking about. And um the clip was of a guy. He was just fighting a sort of walking piranha plant. Yeah. But every time he tried to hit this piranha plant, basically uh, I couldn't quite make out what weapon he had, but it was a handheld weapon. And he was like going, he he would his arm would move down the screen like so slowly. It would almost take a whole second to go down the screen, not because of lag or something, but because that's how it's designed. Like he moves his arm at that speed. That, I can imagine that taking some getting used to. Yeah, your attacks are incredibly slow, and there's a stamina meter that charges up. It takes like two seconds for it to charge up. You need real patience here. But <laughs> in return, yeah. enemies can be killed in two hits. Oh, okay. As long so, so it's a question of figuring out when exactly to get those hits in, which is which is yeah. from software down to the ground. Yeah, they, they, it's not like a horrible grind. It's just if you wait for the stamina meter to be full, you do full damage. If you hit before that, you do almost no damage. So right. you really need to like ha keep an eye on it, try to position yourself so you don't get hit yeah. in the meantime while it's charging up, and. Then you whack them and you can kill enemies really quickly. And that's part of like the opening where it's like you feel helpless and you get murdered by those plants before you learn by trial and error how it works. <laughs> because I played it blind. I just went into it not knowing anything. And I figured yeah. all of that out myself in the opening area. And I felt like, oh, this, this is teaching with no tutorials and it works. Because yeah. I learned how to play the game. <laughs> and I kept going. So anyway, uh, yeah. Um, I feel like this is an example of uh, one of the most successful like reboots of a series that I've seen in the case of Demon's Souls. And uh, also the originals having r genuine qualities to them. And feeling worthwhile because they're kind of designed against common trends and and even trends at the time so I, I feel like you could actually only if you this is good enough that you could release this again just add twin stick controls but you don't need to change the physics still have it be slow i feel like audiences today there's enough of an audience for this to work because people will learn with like video tutorials how, how it's supposed how you're supposed to fight enemies <laughs> yeah and the atmosphere is so strong in the game that uh, you're kind of sucked into it very quickly. It feels uh, pleasant to be in the world, even though it's completely hostile and uh, inhospitable. And there's so much of Demon Souls and Dark Souls in this that uh, those are the people who will play this right away. Cool. All right. Well, uh, <clears throat> my next topic is in defense of Star Trek Discovery. Mm. Because uh, I, I tried to go back because I know we talked about it like a, a week or two ago or three or whenever it was. Um, and and you basically didn't like it or had a lot of criticisms of yeah. it to the point where you didn't like it. And um, I've now watched it through to... I can't remember where you'd got to, but I know you got about halfway through the series or something. I've now watched that and the new episode, so I'm all caught up now. And I completely disagree and I love it. And so what I thought I'd do is I would go over some of the things you said and sort of see, like, do I still agree with those things? Do I disagree with those things? Do I agree with them but not mind? What is it? Um, 
and I couldn't find it. Did was it after the show that we talked about that, or is it cut out, or have I just not found it? Uh, it might have been uh, just before uh, we. Uh, I, I changed the host and just didn't bother Possibly. to keep the episodes up. I suppose that's possible, but I think I thought no. I think it was like just last week or the week. Well, it wasn't last week because we skipped a week. But. No, yeah, it, it was uh, the last one I saw was the one before the uh, mid-season break. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So I've now caught up with it, and I think it's brilliant. So, how about you tell me some of the things you think are rubbish about it, and I'll see what I think of those things and like how I've managed to get around them. Because I remember all of your arguments being perfectly reasonable. Yeah, it was November 12th the mid-season break was. So, yeah. That's how far ago I watched it. <laughs> yeah, but we yeah, yeah, but we talked about it more recently, surely. Yeah. We must have had. Yeah, I, I thought it was too similar to the new Star Trek movies and mm. miss it felt like it was missing depth where it it was jumping too quickly to uh, points and felt very thin and stupid. <laughs> Do you and, know what? So far, I don't disagree with anything. Uh, it is it is similar to the uh, to the films, although I think as it goes on, it starts to gain a bit of a. It does start to gain a bit of a, of its own voice, but particularly the voice that it is is like we can't make '90s Star Trek anymore. Not because there was anything wrong with '90s Star Trek, but because like that just that's not what TV looks like now, and we wouldn't get away with it. It would be a pastiche. So. I think it does eventually sort of settle into like, well, here's what it would be like if the same stories from old Star Trek were done with the modern sort of, you know, camera work and so on. Um, a, but a big part of that, which I can imagine would turn off a lot of viewers, is that Star Trek was ridiculous a lot of the time. And as it got uh, further into like as TNG and DS9 hit their stride, they figured out a way just purely by existing for so long that they were able to do stories that were quite sensible and grown up. Um, and that I think is what people sort of settled on as the main, as the main good Star Trek that, that it should live up to. This doesn't live up to that, but it does live up to like essentially the first three seasons of TNG or the original series, stuff like that, where the stories are set themselves are actually ridiculous. They are very silly sci-fi daftness. But it's all done with this, I don't know, with, basically it follows the Star Trek formula in a way that appeared deceptive at first. Uh, in particular, actually, one of the, uh, I, there's, I heard a lot of people who were Star Trek fans and were comparing it to old Star Trek rather than, you know, just watching it, who didn't like it because, um, just because the comparison didn't line up because it wasn't, it, it didn't work that way. Um, and interestingly, a lot of their complaints about you know so for instance you know star trek is a particular kind of show this is more like battlestar galactica or something than that um the, the people from starfleet would never act like this which are all the same things as, as the complaints against the jj abrams films actually turn out to be plot points by by this sort of midway through the second half of the series and you you realize that what they're doing is they are leading up it's essentially something like TNG or the original series started with this close knit crew of people who worked on this ship and like they uh, well actually no T in the first episode of TNG they actually recruit a couple of others but they're all very professional they have this great relationship they work together this series is kind of going well what if it took longer than that to form that bond 
this series is that. So basically, by the end of this series, they'll be a TNG-style close-knit group of characters. And um, yeah, I'm at the point now where I completely accept this cast. Like I, I just want to, in the same way that I want to see more adventures with the TNG people, I want to see more adventures with this people, this lot. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to series two in that regard. Not yeah. that series one has finished yet. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking over like uh, or, or, uh, dredging back up my opinions of Star Trek Discovery, and yeah, it didn't build enough confidence in me that they were actually going somewhere. I felt like yeah. I, a lot of the time I felt myself being bored because it, it was doing stuff too early and not grounding it in something where I was caring about yeah. the, the crew to begin with. Like, do you know, the romance subplot. <laughs> yeah, do you know, there's actually, there's a, not a, I won't say a very good reason for that. There's a reason for that, and it's a very weird reason for that, which is that, do you know how the first two episodes were an almost totally different Star Trek series and they were just there to set up the status quo for the start of the the real first episode, which was episode three, essentially. Well, they keep doing that. So, like, the first half of the series is one of those for the second half of the series, which is an almost completely different story that isn't particularly to do with Klingon war or, like... I mean, it's important that there is a Klingon war, so the fact that they set that up is important. But it's so different that you almost get the sense that it's a completely different... Like, you are on Series 2 now. And actually, apparently, the s- someone in the creative team did leave uh, halfway through production. So I wouldn't be surprised if literally what has happened is you've got a different series direction starting with the second half of it. It feels that way. Um, there's that. Then there's stuff in, in Series... The start of, like... I, I nearly said Series 2. The second half of Series 1 which is itself kind of prequel material for the next bit of ser- of second half of series 1 and then i believe the whole of series 1 is going to be this extended prequel for series 2 so yes it's a very odd it's a very odd layout but if you can i guess it just has sort of bullied me into settling into that and now i just think it's fine and i quite like it <laughs> because yeah. it means i think there's there there are other series i've watched including really good ones like the wire or something where because because all of one season is a single thing, that one thing can kind of drag on. And you can be like, well, here we go with another episode of the ongoing story of this dispute or whatever. Whereas with this, everything is, as you said, they do things weirdly early, but it's actually that they're just sort of, they're ending things weirdly early. They keep tackling stuff to get it out of the way. And so like the romance subplot, that lasts one episode. Um the by by this time there is no more room for that romance subplot to exist at all um not because one of the characters has died it's not a spoiler or anything but just because that's absolutely done with and under the table and is never never happening again Uh, but it informs in an interesting way what is happening and basically so i'm in case you watch it i won't say but nearly everything in the episodes that you have seen were fake outs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're gonna find out that like oh all the time i thought this was this it was actually that and like you might find that that is something that really annoys you and i, I think a lot of people would be annoyed by that like oh so i thought this the whole time but actually it was this what the what was the point of me watching that then but i did i mean i watched it all through in one go without the series break so to me it's just like twists and turns that keep relentlessly coming and so i do like them and um and it means that 
thinking back over the stuff that we didn't like in the first few episodes in fact the particular things that i that, that made me stop watching for a long time and i guess made you stop watching for a long time even though you got further than i did um as i think back over those i'm like oh that was actually this it so basically all my complaints turn out to have plot reasons that i that i think are good or at least acceptable trouble is it was that series break no series should ever have a break in the middle it's absolutely it's just the ruin of storytelling and i hate it yeah and <laughs> I, f- I felt like i'm gonna have let the show run for a while yeah and i've i've watched enough sci-fi shows that are canceled after two seasons without a proper ending yeah so how this happen again <laughs> i'm gonna see yeah. if people if it runs for a while and people say that oh it's good and gets better then then i'll give it a go because i felt like in yeah. mid-season break it was like it was inconsistent and some of the sci-fi stuff i felt like again another example of doing stuff too early the time loop episode and yeah. i was like this is something you do like five seasons into something when you're kind of scraping the ball of the bar- bottom of the barrel and you have no more ideas. You do a time loop <laughs> episode. Like, every sci-fi series has a time loop episode. Always. Maybe yeah. multiple ones. And I yeah, felt like, yeah. do this early? Well, it's like episode four or five or something of the time loop episode. <laughs> See, I found that refreshing because... Basically, I think uh, the way I saw it was that I'd stopped watching at episode, what, three or two or something. And so I, not including the the sort of intro episodes. And so basically I stopped watching one of the reasons because it was a bit too dour and like military-esque. And and I kind of just thought it was a bit too serious. And so then a a couple of episodes in, you get this. And I believe it's a Jonathan Frakes directed episode uh, with the time loop and it's all ridiculous i loved that that was the moment where i'm like right i'm in because it's like finally we get to real star trek daft star trek instead of having to wait through an entire first series of like just people boringly talking to each other <laughs> yeah well we go we get back to uh it being serious without you being able to take it seriously because <laughs> sure there's a world exists and stuff but why should we care yeah, it's, but... <laughs> they did a similar thing with the. They, they did a similar mistake with Next Generation, which is that the the second episode of Next Generation is the episode where they all get this um, odd virus that makes them all act in a silly way. Which is, a, I think, it was like a sequel to the one in the original series where you know the one where Sulu goes, goes sword fighting on the decks and things yeah. like this. They all go really silly, and it's like, why would you? Why would your second episode be the one where the characters act out of character when you haven't met them yet? Yeah. Um, so it's it's fine for us watching in retrospect because we know the characters, but it's weird that way around. So I, yeah, I, I take your point there. Um, hmm. I do you know what though? I would actually suggest that what you should do is stick with your plan of not watching it until you find out if it gets cancelled. Yeah. But I think you should apply that to series two. I actually think that because series one is about to finish in, in next week, I think you should just watch the second half of series one. And the reason why is because, as I say, it's all absolutely pivotal on the stuff you've already seen. And let's face it, you're not going to want to rewatch that stuff. No. So <laughs> I think you should watch it while it's still in your head and you can go like, oh, okay, so that connects to this and that ongoing storyline was about that. And, you know, little little bits that you'll have forgotten by three years hence you'll remember them and then don't watch series two until you know if it's gonna if it's good and if it's carrying on 
because um, essentially you have you have already watched more than half of this story, so you may as well finish it. Yeah, and then and then see where it goes from there. That's mm. what I think you should do. You obviously you do what you want to do, but that's what I think you should do. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, it's basically you know the time loop episode. You know how after a silly episode like that, like you just said, you can't take the status quo, the serious episode seriously. That is how to watch Star Trek Discovery if you want to enjoy it. It's it's a <clears throat> it's like um it's like one of those '90s series where the whole thing is ridiculous. But if you watch it with your ridiculous show watching head on, rather than your serious show watching head, the bits that are serious will feel serious. You know, it'll it'll they'll they'll be able to affect you because they are peeking out of this silly this comforting blanket of silliness you know like um farscape or something or like when they would do something that was sensible or touching or whatever it would it would rise out and and it would you'd feel it because it was it from this bed of ridiculous silliness star trek discovery is basically like that and if here's a good example you already know that instead of the warp drive well as well as the warp drive in this they go through the mushroom kingdom (laughs) yeah they go through the portal between dimensions they travel along an interdimensional fungus and they pop out at one of its roots and that's how they they travel if you can watch it with a version of your brain that uh, doesn't mind that and accept that as the science in this program that's what the rest of the series is like and there's a couple of big twists that are like oh it turns out that this was scienced into that and it's not it's ridiculous and it doesn't make any sense at all but if you don't mind that then what you end up with is this cast of characters that you do suddenly really start to gel with i really care about this cast of characters now and i i don't want them to go away and like basically i just there's this one bit and i think it's the first episode or possibly the second episode of the of the second half of the series where they find out that to solve a problem, Tilly is going... You know, the, the the sort of the shy, nerdy one that we thought perhaps ought to have been the protagonist because because then we'd have been able to see the Michael Burnham character through her eyes. Yeah. Well, well, she has to step up to the plate and act completely out of character in order to save the, the ship. And not just for that episode, but like her whole role has to change in a huge and serious and dramatic way that is really silly and really funny. And it ju- basically it settles into being funny in the second half. And I'm all about that. And I, I kind of want you to see that bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'll give this show another try then. Well, maybe you know, we wait can until... talk about it next week and I can complain about how much it sucks. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't <laughs> think the final episode will be out by next week. I think there's another episode still to come. But, well, I suppose that means that we could watch the finale at the same time. Yeah, it's uh, 4th and 11th are the final episodes. So, uh, yeah, tomorrow and uh, week, next week. Day after. I, can't, I can't wait for tomorrow. I need new Discovery episodes right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm listening to The Greatest Discovery, which is a, a, a podcast. We'd already been listening to The Greatest Generation, which is this podcast where these two guys who were like really embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast because they're normal people who don't admit that they watched all of Star Trek. Um, but they started this podcast where they did every episode of review of Next Generation. And it's just really good and it's funny. And so uh, now we've started listening to the next 
one, which is the greatest discovery. And and it's just nice to hear them basically don't listen to it until you've watched the series because of what I'm about to say. They spend the whole first half of the series going, okay, so obviously it isn't going to be this. And they're wrong every time. And they guess all the twists. <laughs> but they guess them by going like, it obviously isn't this because that would be stupid. <laughs> and it is stupid. It's I love it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was stupid and found it hard to pay attention because I got bored. Yeah, it isn't boring that. I'll give it that. After um after the first half of the series it isn't boring again. But mm. then I would say that I didn't find the first half of the series boring after about halfway through. I felt well mm. I did I mean the first two episodes I found riveting anyway. Then I found it went boring. It basically it's after you start to settle into the characters they made the mistake of introducing the cast of characters but killing them off essentially and then yeah that, that was the thing that annoyed characters that was something that annoyed me where it's like here's a yeah. character uh, a hint that there's an arc for the character oh now the character's dead yeah like, and, and we're talking about the we're talking about the original captain there right uh no not the not that the original captain but the new the new captain has uh, a henchman you know, the woman who's mauled to death in the third episode for no reason. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, now, and exactly. But the reason is that, well, okay. I'm trying, to say th- I'm trying to say this without spoilers. The reason is that you are setting up the real cast who by the end of this series are going to be the ones. Basically, basically, characters have to step out of the way so that the quote-unquote real characters you get to see the day they were promoted into the job that they end up with. Mm. Um, so it's like how at the beginning of um, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, you have that moment where the captain of the ship goes on board the Klingon vessel. No, not the Klingon vessel, the um, Romulan vessel, and turns around and says, you're the captain now, Mr. Kirk. Basically, this whole series is that. It's, um, it's yeah, it's everyone stepping into their jobs. However, the people who have stepped out of the series in various ways you will see them again Mm. that's what happens in the second half of the series and it kind of you're going to see some of that cast come back um and so and it does it 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 doesn't excuse the the unceremonious way in which they were suddenly (laughs) mauled to death but it sort of does as well it kind of is like oh okay that had to happen so that this bit wouldn't be confusing. And anyway, yeah, no, it's it's cool. <laughs> Bet it's gonna find feel more like oh, this is just bullshit retconning because they noticed their story was crap. And it could like, be. Oh. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, actually, <laughs> it genuinely could be that, depending on you know to the extent to which this uh, change of creative team thing is the case. I mean, did I? Am I just wrong about this? Am I mixing things up? Or was the X-Men movie bloke originally part of the creative team for this and then left when Scandal hit? Or am I thinking of something else? Brian Fuller. Yeah. I don't know if he did... Uh, he, he did, like, Hannibal, American Gods, Heroes, Dead Like Me, Star Trek Perhaps not, Voyager, then. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. No, oh, did he? Perhaps not then. I must be thinking about something else. But yeah, certainly someone, I think, left partway through. And it's either it's clear because the tone changes so much and it just gets so much better. Or it was always supposed to be this way. But basically, yeah, it's like it's like a J.J. Abrams in that the first half of the series sets up questions. 
the second half of the series actually deals with those questions in a in a in a way that I <laughs> haven't seen in a JJ show before. Not that this is a JJ show, but you know what I mean. It that's it has that sort of feel to it. Yeah, the X Men guy is uh, Brian Singer, and Brian yes. Fuller is a completely different person. Is that what it is? Have I heard the name Brian and I've thought that it was him? Yeah, because <laughs> the the X Men guy is uh, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas Brian Fuller is uh, re- well regarded, he he was uh, on board at the start, but uh, yeah, left. It, the, the development of the show was a bit of a clusterfuck, and I can see how him and the other people would have kind of have written the first half, and then for the other half, there's like, okay, here's the course correction. The, the people who are actually going to be writing this series actually taking it in a coherent direction. That well, they're in control of, whereas the first half was, I guess, outlined with like ideas from Brian Fuller, who then left and worked on American Gods instead. Yeah, either that, or and this, and you'll be the judge of this. It 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 goes completely off the deep end in series two, and it's ruined. I think it's great, but I guess I want silliness in my Star Trek or something, and a lot of people don't. And this is silly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's part of why it feels comfortable to me, though. I think it's it does feel like being back in the 90s with a daft sci-fi show to watch, you know? Mm. Yeah, to me, it feels like a tremendous waste of money where, like, they <laughs> expect so much effects and CG work for something this stupid and poorly thought out. <laughs> so, like, I just look at it and feel like, imagine if this was good. <laughs> you know, it does look phenomenal, yeah. there's, yeah. I mean, there are significant differences in style and production than the jj abrams films mm. but they kind of blow past me i kind of can't see them in the moment and so it it feels of a piece with those and it does make me i know that it wouldn't be great and i know that this is no recipe for success but like i do want a tv series with the new reboot cast because i just do but mostly because of how i think um chris pine is like just increasingly becoming the the reincarnation of Shatner. Mm. Like, I'm not even in the Star Trek films. I've seen him in other stuff. Like, when I watched Wonder Woman, I was like, wow, Shatner's still working. Oh, wait, no, it's the new version of him that they've come up with. Yeah. <laughs> Something about him, he's just growing more and more into Captain Kirk. And I'm basically, I'm really worried that there'll never be a satisfactory reboot cast Star Trek production at all. Because the first one... I liked, most Trek fans hated, and it was sort of, you know, it was okay. Um, The second one, most people found absolutely tedious. The third one is sort of praised as, like, the best one, but it's mostly just just random gubbins happening. It's not that, it's not, I would say the first one's better, even. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like the third one only kind of redeemed itself when you found out what's really going on in the ending. And at that point, it felt like this wasn't really that well structured if this is what it was leading towards. It was holding back that information for too long. Yes, although although I had guessed what it was going to be. If you're, if you're mm. referring to the villain, yeah. I had guessed what it was going to be because I didn't know, but I could absolutely tell who it was under that mask. Yeah. Um, and when you, there's a little video clip that you see halfway through, which is, and I was just like, oh, right, this is what the story is. Okay, so I had guessed that. Now, I ought to, actually, I ought to say that the same thing happened with Star Trek Discovery. Um, 
so you may i am bad at watching tv you may be good at watching tv abby is good at watching tv and so whenever we're watching anything at all i will always be pausing it turning to abby and going what's going on even if i've watched the whole thing and she'll just explain well as a result of that abby was like one or two episodes ahead of them at all turns so she would always we'd be watching a bit and she'd go pause it pause it pause it and i'd pause it and she'd go like i've just figured something out and she would then tell me what she'd figured out which is revealed two episodes later that made us enjoy stuff that i can imagine would be like a tedious like yes i got i already guessed this for some other people we just happen to be excited about guessing stuff and if you didn't guess it at all and it was just like a like an out of the blue thing i can imagine that a few of the a few of the reveals you'd be like yeah that's ridiculous because it is ridiculous <laughs> well I, yeah I, I tend to never pause whatever i'm watching if i can because yeah. i feel like it uh, can deflate the uh, feel of uh, whatever they're building where it's like yeah. you go from scene to scene and you're going for a certain mood maybe with music overlapping and if you yeah. pause it you can kind of deflated and if the film or series has to kind of build that up again in an artificial way you have to yeah. get into it again and yeah. but i kind of feel like if i ever watch something with you it'll be interesting to have that experience of you pausing <laughs> and asking me what's happening as i how old are you again <laughs> yeah yeah that's what it feels like that is exactly what it feels like honestly like i do i spend the half the time watching anything well it's partly because i can never remember who anyone is Mm. if like a character was introduced in episode one and then we don't see them again until episode 12 i need telling who that even was because i just wasn't paying attention um or things like that it's not any i mean like obviously i can watch an episode of like we don't have to pause tng when we're watching that so, uh, but we did but we did have to pause the wire a few times so that I could have the subtleties of the intricate plot explained to me. So um, you're the viewer who uh, feels it's good when uh, anime has a flashback for like five minutes with a black and white filter where he has recycle <laughs> animation for, from like 26 episodes ago. Episodes ago. Uh, sadly not. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, but, but how, uh, how it, will you remember who is who then? <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. I, I, I don't watch anime, that's how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can imagine that those probably would help me. Um, but, uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be interested in that style. Yeah, and this is only... The only shows that do this are the ones that are hundreds of episodes long. And are yes. usually aimed at a younger audience as well. So there's uh, multiple tiers of... Uh, it's unlikely that you watch any of this stuff. Yes, exactly. No, and and I don't, I don't mind. Conceptually, I don't mind it in a program like that. If you if you are hundreds of episodes in, it is reasonable to do a flashback. Yeah, um, it's just that uh, whenever I watch something, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch uh, several years worth of this show in, over a weekend. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, get annoyed by the flashbacks. It's like I saw this yesterday. I think that the the. Um the acceptable way to do that is not to have it be a flashback but to just show that scene again as if it's like and now in the series here's this scene but this time you get to see a little bit more of what happened there's a slight difference to the way we show it this time i think that's a reasonable way of doing that so for next week more star trek maybe more altered (laughs) carbon more nerd crap (laughs) 